are moving on from the spies to Koirach. Right? The spies made an uprising. So the spies, I should say, really caused an uprising. They're coming back from Israel and reporting that we can't go there. It's going to eat us up. And they are stronger than him. And we discussed the challenge, I mean, the sikha that we learned, we just finished, discussed the challenge that the spies had, and how, in fact, they were given a, a very difficult task, a very, very hard job, for them to have reported back as was required of them was a most difficult feat. Let me just add one more thing to how difficult their mission was. They were the first. They were the first shluchim. In other words, the idea that a Jew has to live a Nasa and Nishma life is something that we currently just take for granted. After Nishma comes Nasa, after you have the notion of accepting and believing in Kabbalah Sayyid, you've got to understand, right? That's how Judaism is constructed. They were the first to come to that crossroad where the two, Nasa and Nishma, need to be need to be bridged together and in a way that Nasa always overshadows, always in the background of the Nishma. They were the first. They had no precedent, they had nobody to learn from, except Moshe Rabbeinu himself, and as the Rebbe said to us yesterday, they should have remained more connected to Moshe, and that would have given them the strength to report back correctly. Unfortunately, they failed. The Pasha after Shlach, which we're going to read next week, is Kairach. Made a rebellion. And of course, in the case of Kairach as well, Hasidus has its enlightening interpretation, its enlightening commentary to explain the events surrounding Kairach's uprising in a more enlightened way. In other words, Kairach wasn't just a bum. Kairach was a holy bum. <laughs> a very elevated, a very deep person, a very intelligent person. In fact, he was very pious, a very religious person. And the nature of the rebellion of Kairach was fit for the person who made the rebellion and was also fit for the person against whom the rebellion was directed. It was a very refined, a very deep opinion of rebellion. Now, it must be pointed out, of course, that Ein Mikra Stories in the Torah happened as they're written literally. Kairach rebelled and Kairach died by being swallowed up by the earth. All that's true. Kairach's rebellion was nasty and dangerous. Moshe was at risk, at fear of losing his life, literally. Except that God helped Moshe Rabbeinu, as I'm going to tell the story soon, in isolating the rebellion. That was Moshe Rabbeinu's MI under those conditions. To isolate, to keep it local, not to let it spread, as all the other Jewish rebellions had, so to speak, rippled and spread to encompass the entire nation, as was the case in the story of the spies. Moshe succeeded in keeping it local. And as such, preventing the suffering that befell all those people who participated in the rebellion from becoming uh, a nationwide thing. So certainly the story happened, literally. But first of all, the literal story can be understood. In other words, the intentions of Kairach can be understood at a very different level. And second of all, this is really what's more important. The Torah tells us the story of Kairach. And when the Torah tells us the story of Kairach, Torah is telling us, Kairach teaches you a lesson. If Torah teaches you a lesson and me a lesson, we need to understand Kairach beyond the physical man. There's more to 
Kairach than Kairach was because the Kairach who lived is now dead. There's no point in Taita recording his life because Taita is not in the history business, Taita is in the Taita business, in the timeless education business. And therefore the fact that Taita records his life is an indication to us that whatever the particulars of the actual episode of Kairach's rebellion were on the physical level, the Taita's record of them go beyond the physical man, beyond the physical person. Okay? Now what's the story? What are the basic, what are the basic particulars of the story of Kairach? Well, it all begins in this week's portion. This week meaning Baha'u'llah, which we're going to read in Mitzvah Mishol Shabbos. If you paid attention to this week's Pasha, actually it doesn't even begin this week. It started two weeks ago in Pasha's Bamidbar. Moshe Rabbeinu was the king of the Jews. Literally. Moshe had a dina that had a halachic status of a king. Like it says in the Apostle, the Jewish nation had melach. Moshe Rabbeinu was considered a king. And there's much discussion about what kind of status Moshe Rabbeinu has as a king. Moshe Rabbeinu was never anointed to be a king and so on. But Moshe was a king. So, king had the best position. The king had a big brother. He gave him the second most important position. He made him priest. Kairach accepted that. Kairach said, okay, God likes Moshe. Moshe's a holy man. He likes Moshe Rabbeinu's brother. But then Moshe did something which put red flags up in Kairach's head, or red lights. The next highest position after king and priest was prince, Nasi. Who would be the prince of the royal family? The royal family is the subfamily of Kahas. Moshe Rabbeinu was from Kahas. Adam, his brother, was also from Kahas. Kahas was one of the three sub-tribes of the tribe of Levi. Each one of the sub-tribes of the tribe of Levi had their own Nasi. That means, though the other twelve tribes, the Jewish tribes, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehud, and so on, I'm sorry, Reuven, Shimon, Yehud, Yisachar, and so on, had a prince for the entire tribe. Shevet Levi, because of its status, they were royal, they were the priestly family, so on, and so forth, had three sub-tribes, each with their own prince. If Moshe is the king and Aaron is the priest, who should be the prince of the royal tribe? The next in line. The next in line was Kairach. Why was the next in line Kairach? Tell you why Kairach is next in line. Rabbi Kahaz, the patriarch of the priestly family, of the, of the royal family, the priestly family, had four sons. The oldest one's name was Amram. Amram had two sons and a daughter. You may recognize their names, they may be familiar to you. Aaron, Miriam, Moshe, sound familiar? Miriam, Aaron, Moshe? Yeah, they were the, the offspring of Amram. So, Kaira has to, has to accept the fact that they're ahead of him. Why? They're from the oldest son of Kaz, who was the patriarch of the royal family. The next son of Mr. of Rabbi Kahas was Yitzhar. Kairach was the oldest of Yitzhar's children. After Yitzhar, Amram Yitzhar, Chevrein, was a fellow named Chevrein. And the last of the children of Kahas was a fellow by the name of Uziel. Uziel had a number of sons. One of Uziel's sons was Elitzafan. Moshe Rabbeinu gave the princeship or hood to Elitzafan who is from the youngest of the four sons of the patriarch of the royal family, Kahas. And Kairach said, ah, this is politics. That Moshe was the king and Adam was the priest, he had to accept they were, they were ahead of him, they were senior, they were descendants of the older of the four sons of Kahas. He was next in line, he said, I'm supposed to be the next one. If the, if the king is Moshe and the priest is Aaron, then I should be the prince. 
And when Moshe Rabbeinu appointed one of the sons, of the youngest of the four sons of Gahas, as the prince of Shevet Gahas, Kreda said, that's not from God. God makes sense. This doesn't make sense. This is politics. This is Moshe Rabbeinu leveraging making sure that he keeps hold of the Jewish people by keeping hold of the tribe of Levi, by keeping hold of the sub-tribe of Gahas. He's appointing his people, he's appointing his friends, those who have done him political favors or are going to do political favors. He's afraid of me, he hasn't appointed me to a position of leadership. What was the truth? Does anybody know what the truth was? That Hashem told Moshe to appoint Aitzav and ben the head of the tribe. But Kairach got nervous, got paranoid. Okay. He forgave him for that one. Then we come to this week's Pasha, Pasha's Baha'u'llah In Pasha's Baha'u'llah the second discussion in the Pasha, the first discussion in the Pasha is the Aaron goes into the base of Mikdash and lights the Menorah. And how wonderful is that? Like Rashi says that Hashem told Moshe to tell Aaron, that Aaron lighting the Menorah is greater than the, the, the generous offerings brought by the princes of the 12 tribes at the end of the Pasha of last week, now say. And then comes the inauguration of the tribe of Levi. The Leviim have to be uplifted, have to be separate to make it holy. Does anybody know what happened as the Leviim were made special and holy? A lot of things. Aaron had to lift them up, the Jews had to lean on them. You know what else happened? They shaved every single solitary hair off their body. Maybe solitary not, but... Every single hair was shaved at the bottom. They were shaven like mitzayram, like lepers. Clean, hairless. Which didn't have much appeal. Certainly not the kairach. The red flags went up again. Here he goes again. He's, he's appointing, he's making his brother look handsome, beautiful. There's a special halacha regarding the hair of a kohen gadol. He has to take a haircut once a week. A king has to take a haircut every day. And they never once mentioned in Fabrengen that it says in the Gemara. But a kohen gadol has to take a haircut once a week. His hair had to be very, very well groomed. And he, Kayach, was shaven bald. Here he goes again. He's making us look like these ugly little lizards. And his brother is making beautiful. This is politics. Okay? So Kayach had another reason to be not so excited about his brother. And there are a couple of other things that really got into Kairach's head that bothered him. Let me tell you the underlying problem with Kairach. Before I get to the last two things that Rashi mentions in the Chazal, let me just tell you what the biggest problem Kairach had. Kairach's problem was he was too smart. What's wrong with being too smart? Smart people, we once had a psychologist in our class. She wasn't coming in because she got married. <laughs> it happens to everybody who gets married. And she said to us that it's known, huh? Yeah, okay, I'm sorry, I apologize. You're the exception. Um, the people who are very smart are more paranoid. They've done studies on this. People who are very accomplished, people who are great, are more aware, are more worried that people, I don't know, taking advantage of them. They're very paranoid. Kurdach was so smart, he was absolutely sick with paranoia. And he saw everything black. Okay? So therefore, when Moshe Rabbeinu appointed himself in Benazil, the red flags up went, went up in his head. And then later, when he's shaving bald, he says, oh, I don't like this at all. Okay? But there were two more things that really got into his head. One of them is at the end of Pasha Shlach. The end of Pasha Shlach is right before the beginning of Pasha's Kredach. And that's this business with Tzitzis. What's the business with Tzitzis? The business with Tzitzis is that if you have a beggar, a garment with four corners, you need to put fringes in it. Hairs. Little strings that hang out of it. And by the way, there's a relationship between hair and string. We find 
in Tanakh that the hair on a person's head is called Tzitzis Reishi, the fringes on the head. And mystically, there's a very strong connection between the hair on the head and the Tzitzis. But okay, you're going to do that for homework, of course, right? You're all going to look it up. Why do we need to have fringes on a garment? And in Kairach's way of thinking, if the garment is good, you don't need fringes. Okay, and I'll, I'll soon illustrate this to you when I tell you the Medrash that describes Kairach's rebellion. Another thing that Kairach found strange was the concept of a mezuzah. And he saw a strong relationship between a mezuzah and tzitzis. Because there's a mezuzah on the door, it's like a fringe on a garment. Why do you have to hang it on the door? The room is full of books. You need another piece of book on the door that no one's ever going to open. So the Medrash relates the following episode. Because Kairach had all kinds of paranoid ideas in his head based on the four things I just mentioned, and there may be others, but these are the four that I remember. He gathered together a bunch of people who were sages, very smart, also too smart for their own good. And he wrapped them in garments that were made entirely of blue wool, of tchelas, which is what the tzitzis are made of. But he didn't put tzitzis in. And he came to Moshe and says, does this need tzitzis? Moshe says, yeah. He's going to ask you a question. The tzitzis are a fringe, a little hair hanging out the edge, made of blue wool. This entire garment is made of blue wool. Who needs another fringe? This is politics. <laughs> Moshe's making this up to his own liking. If it don't make sense to me, God didn't come up with this. This is Moshe's own idea. Okay, now. Then, Kairach came with another issue. If I have a house full, a room full of say potatoes, does it need a mezuzah? Moshe says, yeah. Ah, oh, here it goes again. A room full of say potatoes needs a mezuzah? Something is not right here. And Kairach's protest in these two areas, plus the two areas of paranoia that had come to him before, led Kairach to a belief. Yeah, God exists. God took us out of Egypt. God gave us a Torah. But Moshe is doing some embellishing. Moshe is, is, has given himself a license has given himself a license to, qual- to, to add to Hashem's Torah. And I'm not going to stand for it. And I'm going to rally all Christ so that they too shouldn't stand for the things that Moshe Rabbeinu was adding to the Torah that Hashem gave. And there is a sort of a uniformity. There's something that goes to the basics, to the, to the point of Kairach's rebellion. Kairach was made very uncomfortable about the idea of singling out an aspect in a greater whole. For example, why is there only one Kohen Why can we all be priests? Adam's priest, that's Moshe Rabbeinu's idea. Can all be priests, can all be holy. For example, you have a beggar, the garment is all made of blue wool, you need one little additional blue wool that hangs at the side. Made him nervous. And the same is true with the mezuzah. A room full of holy books, you need one more little patch to hang on the door. Didn't like that either. So the pattern that you see in Kairach's madness, which is exactly what it was, was that he saw Moshe Rabbeinu adding to the title that Hashem gave us little fringes, little additional aspects. First of all, Kairach's not allowed to have any fringes. No hair for Kairach. Second of all, one Kain God, well, not a nation full of Kain in Third of 
terrible. The begging may be entirely of wood. You need one more fringe. And finally, you have a room full of, say, potatoes. You need one more mezuzah. <laughs> it all amounted to Kairach saying, yeah, Hashem gave us the tater to all holy. Moshe Rabbeinu is not holy. Moshe Rabbeinu is embellishing. And we have to rebel. we got to keep Moshe Rabbeinu in check. You know, you have three branches of government. Moshe Rabbeinu is out of control. Chas v'shom, Rachman l'san, We have to keep him in check. This is the basic story of Kairach's paranoia driving him to insanity. Okay, now, yes. You're not allowed to question Moshe Rabbeinu. You know that there's a tale, it says in Chazal, if a person questions his Rebbe, I'm not going to finish it, but the punishment is very severe. You're not allowed to question your Rebbe. You have to trust. You're absolutely right. No one is saying that Kairach wasn't in a difficult position to have come to the conclusion. And don't forget something else. Moshe is his little cousin. I mean, besides for everything else, Moshe is his cousin. They played together in the sand, and they probably didn't, because Moshe had better grow up in a palace, in Pali's palace. But they were cousins. I don't know the discrepancy of age. I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu is now 82 years old. How old was Kedach? I don't know. But he wasn't a kid. Kedach was a giant of a man. He was very smart. He was very rich. And he was Menesi and He was one of the four people who actually carried the holy ark. You know how holy he was. He wasn't uh, anybody. He was a very holy man and a very, very smart man. Number one, no, you're not allowed to question your Rebbe. That's, that's the way Yiddishkeit is. And there's another Maimah Chazal, which is even more radical. In Vayosha, before Az Yashir, it says, Vayaminu Ba'ashem of Moshe Abdei. And they believed in God and Moshe his servant. Do you familiar with that Pasuk? You say it in Davening. So the Mechilta says, if you believed in Moshe, you believed in Hashem. The Mechilta doesn't say the alternative, but the opposite, in other words, is also true. Part of the contract of Yiddishkeit is Moshe Rebbe. Rebellion was against this construct. What kind of business is that? We all have a connection to the Abishtid. Leadership? That's that's funny. We're all holy people. We all have a connection to Hashem. What's this business? He's special. He's special. This is special. That's special. And we're nobodies? No. If Kaidach had been made special, he would have no problems with that. You see. <laughs> the problem Kaidach really had was that he was the one not being made special. But the argument that he put forth is, why don't you make me special? It was rather this whole notion of one person being better than the next is didn't seem religious to him. Okay? You you hear yesterday. So we spoke about Shaykhat, remember? About when a person has is predisposed, when a person is bribed. Kaidach was bribed. Bribed by his own ego. Moshe Rabbeinu tried to reason with Kaidach. I and mean, if you look in Rashi, Moshe tried so hard. Moshe was very afraid that this would escalate. Because he knew that if, God forbid, this rebellion would become nationwide, the Hashem would take and punish all the Jews, and Moshe was helpless. Moshe knew that he couldn't daven anymore. He used up all of his prayers. The Jews had rebelled so many times, but this was just the one too many. So Moshe tried to reason with Kairach, and most importantly, as I'm going to explain soon, Moshe tried to keep it local. Don't let it spread. Isolate Kairach. Don't let him talk the whole Jewish nation into making trouble, because God forbid if that would happen, then Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't be able to save them through prayer. So, Kairach shows up in Moshe Rabbeinu's camp with a big tumult. Yes? Well, I suppose, isn't it less from a lot of stress, like questions on your 
There's a very, very big difference between questioning and rioting. If you don't understand, <laughs> what am I supposed to tell you? Koirach made an uprising. You know what an uprising means? A, a, a coup d'etat. He tried to overthrow Moshe, at least Adam. He was very, he was intent on doing it. Not the problem was more with his rioting. The problem was entirely with his rioting. Asking a question is entirely legitimate. And Moshe tried to explain things to Kairach. And uh, Kairach wouldn't reason with him. And as is the nature of every rebellion, it becomes its own worst enemy. You know, you start something and then you're stuck in it and you do things you related regret. Kairach got into that whirlwind, that, into that whirlpool also. So Kairach comes to Moshe Rabbeinu and he brings with him 250 people. Who were those 250 people? They were Rashi Sanadrois. Each one of these 250 men was the head of a Jewish court. These were Gedali Yisrael, Tamil Chachamim, sages. And they're all dressed in blue wool and they're not wearing fringes, titus. He needs to have titus? He says, absolutely. So Kerech says, that doesn't make sense. If one fringe, one string of blue wool is sufficient to paiteris as kolabege, to make the entire garment wearable, this is entirely a blue, who needs one more string? And then he asked him, a room full of saved potatoes needs a mezuzah mesh. He says, yeah, Kerech says, I don't accept that. And from this, Kerech got to his real issue. Why is there only one Kohen Gadol? I want to be the high priest. And Ashi explains. Kairach saw what he considered an inconsistency. The inconsistency was the appointment of the Tavim Benazil to the Nisias, to the priesthood, uh, princeship of the sub-tribe of Kahas. And that opened up his mind to the possibility that maybe we're all priests. And anybody who so desires can be a high priest. Why is there only one? And the truth of the matter is, Kairach was careful not to attack Moshe. He meant to attack Moshe, but he attacked him via Adam. His official argument was, why is there one high priest? In other words, why do you need one fringe? Why do you need one mezuzah? Why is there one high priest? I, well, we all want to be high priests. And he came to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, we're all holy, we all stood at Mount Sinai, we can all be high priests. I protest this notion of one priest. And Moshe says, what do you mean? What I mean, said Kairach, is God told you to build a house of God. God told you to appoint a high priest. And you decided who it should be. And you decided that it should be one. I want that every Jew should have the option of being a high priest. Moshe says, what do you mean? God told me one high priest. I don't believe you. Why don't you believe me? What's the answer? What's the answer? It doesn't make sense to me. And if it doesn't make sense to me, and I am God's gift to mankind, the greatest thinker the world has ever known. You know why? Because I'm also rich. <laughs> that was the case. Kerech was very wealthy. Kerech was one of the wealthiest persons who, people who ever lived. It says that Yosef HaTzadik had three treasures that he had hid uh, when he collected all that money from the whole world when he was selling the food during the hunger years. One treasure was found by Kairach, the second treasure was found by Homan, and the third treasure is going to be found in the times of Mashiach. So Kairach was loaded. He was loaded. He didn't keep his money in pockets. <laughs> he kept his money in, I don't know what, in vaults, in wagons. And, you know, he was very, very, very rich, exceedingly wealthy. And that also helped him agree with himself that he was very, very smart. It didn't make sense to him. And Moshe tried to reason with him, said, Gunners go home. Moshe tried everything. Moshe tried being nice. Moshe tried being strong. And Moshe went out of his way to quiet the, uh, the rebellion. Now, let's talk about...
about some particulars of the rebellion. Number one, it says earlier in Chumash, and Rashi mentions it, and it's repeated again in this week's Pasha Kaidech. Woe to the evil one, woe to his neighbor. And the converse, of course, is good to the righteous one, good to his neighbor. Who's the righteous one whose neighbor had it good? The righteous one was Moshe Aaron and his children, who lived east of the Mishkan. Who was their neighbor? Yehuda, Yisachar, Zvulun. Woe is to the evil one, woe is to his neighbor that goes on Kahas, that lives to the south of the Mishkan. Who is their neighbor? Reuven, Shimon, God, the tribe of Reuven. And the tribe of Shimon got into trouble too later on. Kairach's army, Kairach mobilized people. He wanted to make an uprising. To make an uprising, you need to have the populace, you need to rouse the passions of the people. Did he roused Shevet Reuven. He got a bunch of people from Shevet Reuven together and he made with them an uprising against Moshe Rabbeinu. But there are a few people whose names are mentioned individually. One is a fellow by the name of Ein Ben Pelas. Now I mention this too because this is just GI, just interesting general information. Ein Ben Pelas, the Titan mentions his name. Who Ein Ben Pelas was, I don't have a clue. But if the Titan mentions his name, he probably was somebody special. And he also was convinced by Kairach this idea, I mean, take it from God, but the idea that there's a hierarchy, that only one person can hold certain positions, and it's not free for anybody to take, this is, this is, Moshe's embellishment, we've got to make an uprising. And Ayn Ben made an uprising. Well, Mrs. Ayn Ben Pelas knew that this wasn't going to end good. <laughs> so she went, and she slapped them into the house, she put them to sleep, and she sat down in the front of her house, and not in that sneeze away. And whenever people would come to the house and they saw how she was dressed, they ran away. So Kairach is looking for him in Bellas. Nowhere to be found. She put him to sleep. She doesn't let anybody wake him up. And she saved his life. He started out in the rebellion, the day, the first day. And when the next day, when all the action happened, she didn't let, she pushed her, didn't let him leave the house. And she saved his life. And it's brought in Chazal, the great schus that she had, that she saved the life of her husband. The other side of the coin, of course, is Dustin and Avidim and Kairach themselves, who didn't back down. And not only did they die, their wives died, their children died, even babies, infants. But normally, how can you kill a newborn? They haven't been involved. In this case, uh, even people who never had a chance to sin were killed because of the severity of the Machlechus. Dustin and Avidim are old fellows. We know their names already. We're familiar with them. They are the old-time troublemakers. They were the guys who were fighting with, in Mitzrayim, threatened, and they actually reported. They informed Pada that Moshe had killed an Egyptian and Moshe had to run away. Remember? They were the guys who left over the mon. They were the guys who went on Shabbos to collect the mon. They're the, they're the equal opportunity troublemakers. This was the last... For them, this was their last chance. They went into the ground together with Kairach. They made this rebellion, and they were from Shevet Reuven, by the way. They were not from Kahas. And essentially, the message was, we all want to be a high priest. And Kairach gathered together a bunch of people and said, let's be high priest. So the first thing Moshe Rabbeinu said is, let's wait for tomorrow. His hope was maybe people will get some sleep, and as they say in English, cooler heads will prevail, and things will work out. You know who did exactly the same thing? Does anybody have a recollection of another case where someone said, wait till tomorrow? by the golden calf Aaron said tomorrow is a party tomorrow the diak was let's wait till tomorrow maybe Moshe will come so the 250 men come from Moshe but we want to be high priests so Moshe says listen what's the most critical avoiding the Beis HaMikdash the Ketanus the incense the incense has caused a lot of trouble in the past another Benavi who passed away from the incense it's Sama Movis the, the portion of death is within the incense you want to be high priests? No problem. Tomorrow you can all come here with pans, gold pans, and everybody will bring potatoes. Not just that. 
252 people. Aaron, Kairach, and the 250 people will all bring incense, and what God will decide. If I'm wrong, if I embellished, if I made it up that only one high priest is supposed to be high priest, but in fact everybody can be a high priest. And of course the similes, the parallels of that would be, a mezuzah has to be on the door even if the room is full of books. That, that fringe is hanging from a garment, even the garment is all entirely blue wool. They're all the same principle. What's the point of a little nuance, of a little detail, when all the, the, the great picture is consistent with the will of Hashem? So then you'll know that I'm embellishing. But if God says that he doesn't like the fact that 251 additional people lit the Ketetus, he'll let you know. He'll let you know. Moshe says, when it comes to Ketetus, God don't play no games. You'll know about it. Are you willing to risk it? Says Ketetus, yeah. And the next morning, 252 men got up and they lit Ketetus. And it actually points out that Ketetus should have been smarter than that. Ketetus should have known. Rebellion ain't rebellion ahead. You don't... You don't... What does they say? You don't do kamikaze. You don't go on a suicide mission. Kairach should have known that what he was doing was going to cost him his life. And Kairach was a smart man. So why did he bother? Why did he do it? Why did he take this risk? Why didn't he back down when Moshe Rabbeinu gave him this test? So of course we would all answer conventionally, and there's probably some truth to it also. That's what happens when people argue. The ego gets in the way to the point where it actually kills the, <laughs> the person making the uprising. But there's a, Dirashi adds another. Dirashi says something different. Dirashi says too smart, that was the problem. He was so smart, he was actually a prophet. And he saw that his descendants would be in the Beis HaMikdash, would hold very prominent roles. In fact, one of the descendants of Kairach was a man named Shmuel Hanavi. Anybody know Shmuel Hanavi was? Samuel the prophet. Shmuel Hanavi was the one who made the first two kings of Israel. He made Shaul HaMelech HaMelech and then he made Dabbas HaMelech HaMelech. Huh? Do you know his son? Shmuel Hanavi was his son? Was whose son? descended, not a son, many generations. So Kairach said, huh? I gotta survive to have kids. <laughs> so I know what's gonna happen. The other 251 are gonna die, I'm gonna live. His mistake was that Kairach's children did tshuva. They were falling into the hole in the ground and did tshuva, and a platform came out of the ground, and they were saved, and Shmuel Taka came from Kairach, but from Kairach's children. Kairach himself died. So Kairach, as it says, missaw. He miscalculated in what he saw about the future of his family. So Kairach was chotu b'nafshoisam rashi says, they sinned to the point of paying with their lives. Which means to say, basically they went on a kamikaze mission. On a suicide mission. They knew that what they were doing was going to cost them their lives. They were so arrogant. They were so pompous. They were so conceited that they'd rather die then step back from this rebellion. Once they got into it, they were going to go to it till the death. We're going to die for the rebellion, we'll die. But we're going to fight Moshe to the bitter end. Each person after watching the, the one died. That's not how it happened. They didn't die instantaneously. They died after Hashem appeared and so on. So Moshe Rabbeinu is very frustrated. And he says to Kairach, let's wait till tomorrow. And like I said to you, he tries to be nice to him. He tries to be rotten. He tries to be angry with him. He says, what do you want? Hashem singled you out as it is. And he gave you a status. The Levim all had status. And this is no good. And the worst thing that's going to happen, Moshe says, this is going to spread. And all the Jews are going to die. And I'm helpless. I can't pray anymore. I'm prayed out. I've used up all my prayers. On the previous sins. On the Meraglim. On the Golden Calf. On the rebellion in the mid in, in the yams of I mean it's, this is the tenth this is the Maraglim was the tenth this was the eleventh rebellion and Moshe does something totally out of character he picks himself up 
and he walks from where he lives to the east of the Mishkan, to the south, and he goes to the homes of Dosan and Avinam. My, the holy Moshe Rabbeinu goes to check out Dosan and Avinam. These arrogant, miserable troublemakers. Moshe doesn't call them. I think the way it goes is first Meshach Rabbeinu sent people to call them. And they refused to come, so Meshach went to them. And Rashi says, just look how humble Meshach Rabbeinu was. These guys have been making trouble for Meshach forever. When Meshach was a kid in Mitzrayim, they made trouble for Meshach. Meshach had to run away in Mitzrayim because of them. That was decades before. And now they're rebelling again and again and again. Meshach goes to them. Why? Moshe was so afraid of this rebellion spreading because he knew that the prayer wasn't going to do him any good. So he wants at all costs to suffocate the Machlaikis. So he goes to them all for the sake of Shalom. That Moshe Rabbeinu was so concerned with peace that he would humiliate himself to this extent. And first when Moshe sent for them, Tredach answered with, with, with all that arrogance. He said, hey, we were in a land that was flowing of milk and honey, meaning with Ryan. He dragged us out of that land into this miserable desert. <laughs> and now I should go to him? Absolutely not. So Moshe went to them. And it says in the Pasuk, V'dosan v'aviram yatsun yitzavim v'neshem ovneim v'tapam. Moshe is walking, and you can understand yourself how that must have looked. You imagine the Rebbe is walking, and behind him is walking Aaron, and the Kayanim, and the whole Kali Yisrael. The, proce- the, proce- the procession was very uh, very beautiful. Moshe is walking ahead of the procession. Everybody's watching to see what's going to happen. And a few pipsqueaks, that's what they were, standing in front of their tents. And as Moshe gets close, then their wives and their children start to curse Moshe Rabbeinu. To curse them. And they weren't curses in six or seven syllable words. You know what I mean? They were curses. You know, just miserable, arrogant quotes. And Moshe tries to talk to them and they don't want to listen. So he has no choice, he leaves. Moshe is hoping, as we mentioned, that the night will cool the tempers, but that's not what happened. Kairach goes around to the whole Pagisro all night long, and he's rallying people, he gets those good new hands, and he stands up, and he's making speeches, and he's rallying the nation. He doesn't let anybody sleep. He said, I'm not doing this for me. That's, I mean, you know, all the signs of a rebellion. I'm doing this for everybody, for the people. <laughs> Moshe and his brother and his cousin they've taken over they want to suppress us they want to own us they want to tell us how to be we have to gather together God doesn't want this God loves us all we all stood in our scene and not just him and his brother we all are able to be priests we're all important and he succeeded in getting everybody's attention now if you read the Chumash the impression you get is the people were what's the word? They listened to what Kairach said, and there was a great fear that Kairach's energy would, so to speak, take them over. But they weren't ready to bite just yet. They wanted to see what would happen. So on the morrow, in the morning, when the moment of reckoning comes, everybody's there. They're curious. And could you imagine how intimidated it must have felt? Moshe Rabbeinu. And to be very honest, Moshe wasn't intimidated. You can't intimidate Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was worried. Worried that God forbid everybody behind Kairach should also start to scream. So everybody's watching. The whole Jewish nation, several million people have gathered to see what's going to happen. And they're watching. And Kairach and the other 150, 250 uh, members of the Shevet to the Uven and Aaron Akayin went in to do the Ketairah. 
they did dictate us. And nothing happened. They didn't die. They didn't burn up. And Kodach is standing there with all of his arrogance. And the 250 men are standing there with all their arrogance. And all of Kali Israel is standing there, curious. Their, their, their interest is piqued. They want to see what's going to happen. And there was this eerie, I, I'm, I'm dramatizing it, this eerie silence about the whole condition of Kali Israel at the moment. And Moshe is standing there, a lone, solitary man, with the, the act has been done. They're waiting to see, like you said, who's going to die first. Hashem appears. The presence of Hashem shows up. And you understand yourself, this is the time of reckoning. Now we're going to find out who's going to win this one. And Hashem says to Meshach Rabbeinu, why don't you move away, you and your brother, get out of here. I'm going to wipe out the whole Jewish people. I'm going to rid the whole, I'm going to erase them all. They're all standing there, they're all watching, they're all curious. So Moshe and Adam fall on their faces. And Moshe says to Hashem, God, the God of the spirit of all mankind. You need to say, you know, you know what's going on in their hearts. You know that this is the sin of one man. One man has sinned. You have no right to kill everybody. Kill the guilty. Kill Kairach. Okay? That's what Moshe says to Hashem. And then, Moshe Rabbeinu has a concern. Remember again, the concern that Moshe Rabbeinu has, the big issue with Moshe Rabbeinu is to keep this, uh, what's the word, rebellion local. So Moshe makes an announcement. Everybody, stay away from these people. They're bad, they're evil, separate yourself from them. Don't have anything to do with them, don't be next to them. And Moshe succeeds, so to speak. Remember, Kaisal's curious. Kaisal wants to see who's going to win. And of course, what's going to happen? Whoever wins, they're going to be on their team. And Moshe says, separate from these people, have nothing to do with them. And the Pasuk Taka describes, there was a certain union of isolation. People separated themselves. And somewhere along the line, you have to say, that Kairach was no longer standing in the Mishka. They had moved back. In other words, they went into the base of Mishka, lit their Kairach, and now they had moved away. And Moshe is standing in the neighborhood of their homes, and everybody depart. So here you have Kairach, they're standing with their wives and their kids cursing and what is the word, grinding their teeth they have not been successful at creating the spirit they wanted to create they're still hoping the people are watching, right? the people are undecided the people are going to see who's going to win and the 250 men are there you know, the scene as you can depict it and Moshe makes an announcement and basically the announcement is Kairach's rebelling against me basis for his rebellion is the charge that I'm making some stuff up. Well, this will be a moment of reckoning. If anything I've done is made up, let it be determined and proven right now. And here's the test. If I am correct, and I am an emissary of Hashem, and every word I've spoken, every directive I've given, every position that I've created, every mitzvah that seems focusing on a triviality, like a mezuzah, like tzitzis, if there's something faulty about it, then nothing will happen. But if I am correct, and I am the emissary of Hashem, and every word I've spoken comes from the Abishtad, let not these men die as all people die. Instead, Hashem should open up the earth. Like Rashi says, if there's a hole in the earth right here, may it open. In other words, technically speaking, if there's a fault, if there's a, you know, two plates, let them open. And if there is no fault right in the middle of the desert, let the fault come here and open itself up and eat these people up. If these people die a natural death, I'm a liar. I'm 
Shanim Pas. If these people don't die a natural death, they're swallowed up by the earth, then, then I'm legit. Before Moshe finishes, of course, the earth opens up and they all piled in. And they tried to run away and it says that the whole earth became like a midre. You know what a midre means? Like a bunch of slides. Their last ride they had. And then they plopped into the abyss and they all disappeared. The men, the women, even the children and all their belongings vanished. Klai saw became hysterical. Why did they become hysterical? Because they saw an earthquake and they were afraid they would be swallowed up as well and they started to run away. Because it was noisy and it was it was serious. Anyway, the earth closed up and the show was over. And Moshe one hands down, right? <laughs> that was the end of the rebellion. This is the, essentially the story of Kairach. Kairach made an uprising. The, the, the short version of the story is he tried to rally Kairach, so Moshe succeeded in keeping it isolated. Those who needed to die, died. Everybody else survived. And it says later on in the Pesach that the 250 men who had brought potatoes were burnt. They died in a fire. That's what happened to them later on. Okay, now, there's somebody waiting to teach, I'm sure. Um, just one more detail. The next day, Jewish people complained again. <laughs> Another uprising. You, Jewish people are dying like flies. You just killed three families of people. What kind of business is this? You have, a, you have an argument with people, so you get them out of the way. So another plague starts. So Hashem told, Aaron told Moshe, Moshe told Aaron to go get potatoes, the same incense, which was responsible for so many deaths, and says, and you light this incense and carry it to the Jewish camp, and stop the Magdefa, stop the plague. Aaron did that, and the same incense, which had been responsible for the deaths of Nadav and Aviyu, and Kairach and his families, and the 250 men, stopped the plague. So Jewish people saw that the potatoes is not a potion of death, it's a potion. We use it right, it saves, and if you use it wrongly, it kills. We have to stop.